welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I write all about bikes, nutrition, training, and all kinds of outdoor adventure stuff, and have recently gotten back from the, gosh, two-week-long, pretty hectic adventure of my own. And you're sick. And I'm sick. Again. Flying a little too close to the sun. Yep. I mean... You, you are, too, with your nice cut from downhilling yesterday and somehow tomato on your eye. That's debatably tomato. We'll call it blood. Okay. I am Peter Glassford. I am registered kinesiologist and endurance coach. And, yeah, yesterday I, was, I had both my best downhill mountain bike run of the year and then also as I was exiting... I would call it almost not to the parking lot, but very close, uh, as Murphy's Law holds it. Uh, the last run Somehow first. put my stiff upper lip into the stem of my bicycle and narrowly avoided bucking my teeth out and breaking my nose. But I hit that, that lip and it took the brunt, so all systems go. Except for the lip. The lip's still a little messed up. Yeah, I think I got pretty lucky. I was, I was pretty worried that there was going to be some consequences, but I think I dodged them. So. All right, no consequences. Um, and this actually leads really nicely into today's episode with uh, the author or co-author of The Brave Athlete, Simon Marshall, who is talking to us about a bunch of different uh, racer and athlete pitfalls, uh, including how to mentally come back after injury. So if you're finding yourself very nervous next time you're going up the chairlift, uh, you can just re-listen to this episode. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, I may find myself nervous in another situation, so I'm sure it'll be relevant. Yeah. You know, this is a, a big topic, right? You know, a lot of people, we're getting into cyclocross race season now, so everyone's, you know, their numbers were good, but then the race result isn't quite as good as they thought, right? And there's a, a few reasons we can do that. You know, it can be tapering into an event and just sort of being recovered. You know, there's a bit from maybe the the nutrition ahead of time, but I think for a lot of people, it's that performance anxiety, you know, performance on demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've had Simon on with his ex-Terra triathlete and co-author wife, Leslie Patterson, uh, in the past talking about their book, The Brave Athlete, but today we really wanted to get into some of the sort of like the more common questions we've had and sort of the more typical racer, like actual pitfalls or athlete pitfalls and kind of give him some specific situations and see how he'd work through those. So if you kind of enjoyed that general sports psych knowledge on the first episode, you know, this is kind of a good follow-up to that. Um, or if you're not really into kind of general sports psych, this might actually interest you because it has a little bit more like practical, okay, here's exactly what I would do in this situation kind of knowledge. Yeah, and definitely go back if you haven't listened to the one, the episode we had with him before, go back and listen to that for sure. We'll link to that. But if you Google that Simon Marshall consummate athlete, I'm sure you'll find your way. Yeah. And also before we get into this, uh, so I was just at the Waterloo World Cup for cyclocross out near Madison, Wisconsin. It's one of my favorite races to be at. Um, and it was even better this year because, I mean, A, the racing was absolutely crazy um watching my good friend ellen noble and you know longtime cycling hero mariana Voss like battling it out at the front of the women's race just made my heart pretty much stop 
so it was a really, really fun weekend. But also, I just wanted to, you know, thank everybody that was at that race and also at Interbike who came up and said that they were enjoying listening to this podcast. It was a really cool meeting a lot of you like in real life and chatting with you guys. So thank you for continuing to listen and you know, to anyone else, uh, if you do spot us at races and you are listening to this, uh, we'd love to hear from you. It's it's really exciting for us to know people are listening. Yeah, I think that's the motivating part is when you actually meet people and I think why we do it. And we both are fairly introverted and usually running around doing things. So if you, if you take that first step, we always appreciate it too, but because we, sure. we don't know you, so or, or maybe we do, but... Um, yeah, come up and come up and say hello and tell us what you hate and and what you'd Aww. like to see better. Don't um, tell me what you hate. I, I thought I know. thought you were going to say that Waterloo was really good because of your your longtime cycling hero Toon's art. Isn't isn't that who won? Toon Arts, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were going to say you were really excited that he won. Yeah, longtime cycling yeah. hero, the 23-year-old Toon Arts. I mean, he's great. He's done very well. I actually was just writing about him uh, for Flow Bikes. I'm running their cyclocross rankings for this whole season. So every week I do either international rankings and then domestic on the other weeks. Um, And I wrote about him two weeks ago saying he was sort of this uh, perpetual, always the bridesmaid, never the bride, uh, when he's racing against Wout Van Aert and Matthew Vanderpool. So it was really exciting to get to see him have his you know, day in the sun, literally as well as figuratively. Yeah. And and how can people, like, is that something, people have to sort of sign up for this coverage, right? Is that how Flow Bikes On works? Flow Bikes, yeah. So they can go to flowbikes.com or is it flow-bikes? Not really sure. We'll put okay. that in the show notes. Yeah, so Google that. Flow Bikes. But Molly did, had her commentating Yeah, I had my de- commentating debut, debut <laughs> at Reno Cross. And it seemed to go well. Your deep knowledge of cycling and and the history of different racers seem to play well very specifically cyclocross let's not pretend that i have any real knowledge of like road or anything like i mean that. that's fine that's how you have deep knowledge yep if, yep if you knew everything about every sport it wouldn't be deep i'm just saying in case listeners come up and start quizzing me about like pro teams on the road I'm... so there's flow bikes and then the last thing is that you have a yoga workshop this Saturday is more of a local thing but yes. in Collingwood Ontario this is what are we at the end of September so it's like the 28th or 29th 29th Saturday the 29th so if you're in the Collingwood greater Toronto area and you're looking to get into yoga this might be an idea yeah uh, Do we over, have where can we find out about that uh, at active life conditioning's website so yeah just a few hour clinic on Saturday I'm super excited about it just kind of going through sort of a beginner's guide to whether you've taken yoga classes before and just kind of felt sort of lost when someone's like, get into downward dog, and you're like, I don't know what that is. Um, Or if you've never taken one because you're terrified of that situation, uh, we're going to go through each pose and kind of talk about the ins and outs of them and, you know, really work on getting into them properly and safely. So that way, you know, anyone that's there can then go to you know, more standard yoga classes and feel really confident. So I'm super excited about that because we've, you know, run a lot of bike clinics, but this is the first kind of yoga one that I've done. Okay. So it should be really fun. So that might be a way for people who are local. They could listen to this episode on sort of the, the pitfalls of performance. And, ah, there we go. And then also they, they might come if they had the opportunity to this and, and sort of use yoga maybe as a way to sort of downregulate and control Mm-hmm. anxiety or, or arousal or any mm-hmm. of these other things so yeah i've been teaching teen yoga on mondays lately and it's actually been really really fun and i'm about to head out of the house 
in the next five minutes to go coach cross country at the high school nearby. So hanging out with teenagers. It's been pretty exciting. They're really fast. Well, I'm going to let Simon Marshall chime in on the sports psychology. That that seems like a good idea. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think. Uh, Rate and review the podcast if you like it. All that fun stuff. Thank you again for tuning in. Obviously, I think everyone, everyone and their mother should read The Brave Athlete. And, you know, that's the number one recommendation. But, you know, we kind of want to <laughs> give some people some like tips and tips and tricks for getting through some of the, the tougher times. So, I mean, before we get right into it, uh, for, you know, listeners who haven't heard the podcast we had with you guys back in November, uh, give me the, the 30 second bio for you, Simon. Oh, so I'm a sports psychologist, um, originally from England, but then moved to the US, uh, where I was a, faculty, a professor in behavioral medicine and, and psychology of health and exercise uh, for sort of 12, 15 years, and then um, left to do consulting with athletes full time and, uh, and now help endurance athletes brain wrangle so they can sort of perform and train with more enjoyment, happiness, contentment. Awesome. And you guys have the book, The Brave Athlete, but you also have a coaching business, but not by the same name, though. No, that's right. So our coaching business is called Braveheart Coaching, uh, married to Leslie Patterson, who's a Scott, uh, professional triathlete. And so the Braveheart theme is strong with this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it also ties into what, you know, sort of our philosophy of, of our relationship with sport as well, is that it takes some bravery and bravery um, we all have our own uh, kind of mini forms of bravery and to enjoy life to the fullest, it means that, um, or the little, uh, uh, that there's a, a little sort of adage I post on Twitter, uh, before you, uh, you need to be brave before you can be good. So I think this is a, a good lesson for all of us is that the things that really excite us and get us going and we feel good about require us to kind of occasionally take a few little leaps where we're scaredy cats really, but uh, over the other side of that comes all the breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's how I feel about sport. That's how I feel about podcasting, doing talks, all that no, stuff. No, no, like so much in life, right? It's so much in life. It's, and I think when you think of all the things that we struggle with or we get nervous about when it's sport or, you know, uh, new relationships or asking for a pay rise or new jobs or that they all really boil down to sort of the, the, the kind of the same psychological issues, you know, that we have. We're worried about failure. We're worried about judgment and so on. And so, kind of getting a handle on some of those skills can help us in so many ways, not just in sports. So I think that this is useful, like mental flossing for all of us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so the, the book Brave Athlete came out, what, a year ago now, right? Yes, it came out in, uh, I think, last May uh, 2017. Um, so been over out just over a year now. And so we're really excited by it. We were really sort of uh, pleased we didn't know how people would take it uh, you know because you know not there are some books written about psychology but some of it can be quite dry or some people just don't think oh that's not for me I don't need that you know at the end of the day you just got to train do the work and you know suck it up and stuff Mm -hmm. so but you know we've all got fallible human brains and so I think um, yeah we were surprised we hit a little niche there I think there are more people out there who 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 struggle with this sort of stuff than they let on and so this is uh, it's probably bathroom reading for some of them I don't want to admit to to saying oh how do I cope with this but I know I'm really I'm you know strong and confident on the outside (laughs) absolutely I mean I think it hit kind of that perfect uh, medium because like you said there are a bunch of really dry books on sports psych but for every dry book there's a super fluffy you know me 
like internet meme type book that just has oh, really yeah. cliche, terrible, like, generic advice. So I think this was like friendly enough to be like a fun read, but also had enough backing in science that it wasn't just this corny feel good about yourself well that's the, yeah that's the goal that's the goal right so we you know standing there's kind of the cliche of standing in the mirror telling telling yourself over and over again that it's going to be okay you're going to be fine you're going to be strong you know it doesn't work and we we know <laughs> that personally because we've tried it and it doesn't work and we've never met anyone who's able to do it so and the more athletes that you speak to from like total beginners through to olympic champions um, the, the, the trends are all pointing in the same direction. It's just like, look, we all struggle with things that we're, that we're kind of scared about uh, and the consequences of it. So, you know, dealing with the, how, to, how to cope with it in a bit more of a systematic way and that's, it, that's informed by science is a good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, with all of that said, A, everyone should read the book, but B, let's talk about yeah. some of these common racer problems. Um, so the first scenario I'm going to throw at you is a racer who's, yeah. yeah, so we have a racer who's having just a terrible season, you know, and maybe, <laughs> maybe not even like, not even like DNFing necessarily, just, you know, things are not going their way. They are not hitting their goal marks in racing or in workouts, and they're just feeling really down on racing. What do yeah. they do? What do they I, do? I, and I, <laughs> well, I, I think the first thing is to kind of normalize this and say, Every athlete we've ever spoken to goes through it at <laughs> some point. And if you and if you haven't yet, don't worry, it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, and for some of us, it lasts. It can last, you know, more than one season, and others, it can last just a handful of weeks or months. And so, you know, it is a little bit like a roller coaster, having a, 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 um, something that you're passionate about that takes a lot of your time and is expensive, and it's and it hurts uh, when you do it <laughs> some yeah. of the time. So. We're going to have a kind of a strange relationship with it. And I often give the analogy of, you know, uh, airline turbulence is that, you know, pretty much every flight we get on and we're going to get some sometime. Uh, and knowing that it's coming uh, is one thing. Being prepared in advance for how you cope with it and what it means is another. But it will pass. And you've got to kind of keep focused on the other side that you just got to get through it. And what separates many athletes from others is how you deal with those those situations where there's the slumps or the plateaus and so on. So the first port of call is always is trying to figure out why, right? I mean, this is a fairly normal reaction to when things are suddenly for no apparent reason uh, uh, you're struggling. And so you understand that there are physical reasons first. Are, are you overtrained or overreached? Are you constantly sort of under fueling? Are you only really doing, if you're honest with yourself, only 50% of the work of <laughs> the training and so on. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there are physical reasons so before we start to sort of jump down the rabbit hole of woe is me and everything sucks and what's the point is to try and there might be some direct sort of physical reasons why things aren't, aren't going well. But sometimes there aren't, right? You, you go through this exercise with your coach or people that you train with and you just can't figure it out. You've done everything the same as you have last year uh, or that, you know, it seems to be kind of business as usual for you, but there, there's something that's not clicking. So there might be some uh, psychological or mental causes behind it. Maybe that your your motivation has kind of waned a little. You don't want it anymore, and you feel like you're sort of going through the motions somewhat. And so what we often recommend athletes do is to kind of write down a list of all the things that they that they still that they still enjoy about the sport and often we have to take them back to when they first started it you know their very first triathlon or the endurance race or the, when they first started training so we're trying to connect that inner joy you're trying to find the 
the childlike uh, mentality that first got you into it. And is that still there? And if that isn't still there, and that may be the case for you, um, then it might be a chance to look, it's okay to say you, you might just need to give yourself permission uh, uh, to move on, or there might be other things that want to take your attention. Some people, the last thing you want to be doing, unless you're, you know, it's, it's paying your mortgage, is, is, is feel as though that you're obligated to do it because you owe, you know, people or things or something. So finding out that if it's still connected with some inner enjoyment. But I think some, one of the, one of the, uh, if you say, yes, I still enjoy it, I still appreciate the sport, but I'm still not feeling good right now. Well, sometimes it can be because, you know, deep down, um, we, we, we're annoyed because we kind of wish that the, the golden rules of life weren't true. And I don't know if you've ever heard of these. And I, I love the, we use these quite a lot with our athletes, the, the three golden rules of life being that, that one, life is not fair. Uh, the, the, goal, the, the second one is the goalposts move and three is that there are no guarantees and so when we find ourselves getting kind of annoyed or down about something it's often because fundamentally we've kind of you know we've broken what we wish one of those rules wasn't fair but, but I've done all these things and, and that person's improving and I've done the same work as them and they're improving and I'm not well Sometimes, you know, life isn't fair, but uh, some there's a whole host of reasons why it might be that no matter how, you know, however you look at it, just, yeah, life sucks at the moment for you. Um, but it's then the mindset that we use to kind of get out of it. Um, you know, goalposts move all the time. The rules change. We promise certain things uh, or we have expectations for ourselves and now they're no longer in the same place and we can get really annoyed about that. And this really ties in with having guarantees. If I just do X, Y, and Z, then everything will have the race of my life. And, you know, I've spoken to so many athletes, and my wife included about this, is that everything was on the cards to have a great day or a great race or a great season. And yet the season was terrible and they cannot figure out why and sometimes there's a good reason just to sweep things under the rug and say you know what just move on i can agonize over this i can intellectualize it so much i've tried to figure out all of the if there are physical reasons or if I, it is a motivation problem or but sometimes it's just things are what they are uh, and uh, you know this is the spilt milk uh, you know argument of life and so it's just kind of moving on and giving yourself sort of permission to move on and sometimes that might be a little break or a little some downtime or so on so the kind of refresh and reset your relationship with the sport can often be a really great idea mm -hmm. yeah i like that i mean i think even just thinking through everything you just said and thinking about it i'm like wait if if you don't have a terrible season or a bad race every once in a while what is a good race right like you can't be a good athlete without some bad results. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the good times. Right? We appreciate the good times because we know what the sucky times feel like. Yeah, and, exactly. And, we are, and, we, and, and, you know, this is at the heart of resilience uh, and building adversity or adversity training in athletes. And, and we often say is that the times that feel good when you're training and racing, you know, the downhill with the wind behind you metaphor, mm -hmm. that's not when mental toughness is built. It feels good, but you don't build adversity and resilience. It's the, it's the, you know, the crappy conditions or when things aren't going well, but you still persisted, you still carried on. Mm -hmm. And that's when we actually build the sort of the, we're building the, 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 we're creating that sort of mental architecture, the scaffolding of being able to cope in the future. Uh, uh, great when you have those no chain days or, you know, when everything is going well, but they're so few and far between. So we have to kind of 
think about our uh, the way that we our relationship with sport and how we prepare for it is that it's partly about coping with adversity. That's maybe one of the big life lessons. Why do we do it? Well, this is a is teaching us something that is going to help us in other aspects of our life. So when the going gets tough, don't quit, don't suck, just don't you know stop or find something else. Uh, just just stick with it because you're actually doing yourself some. That's a bit of good brain medicine right there for you for helping for yourself in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on the topic of adversity, one of the other kind of common scenarios that I'm seeing a ton lately is athletes with injuries and they need to take time off training. But, you know, you get the two types of people, right? Like the ones who are like minor injury or even major injury and are just like done for the season. Like, okay, I'm out. I'm going to go like gain 15 pounds, sit on the couch. Everything's great. And then, then there's the ones that are like, okay, I can't run today okay, we're going to do a really intense hike or we're going to go for a really long bike ride or we're going to go swim or we're going to go do crazy core training. Just, you know, how can I keep going and keep moving? Uh, any, yeah. any tips I for mean, <laughs> dealing with when Yeah, I think that, again, it's, 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 le it's learning a little bit about the kind of patient you are, the kind of injured person you are, right? Um, and this also stems from our relationship with sport. I think that one, one big issue that, that injury seems to speak to, or at least expose, is stuff about your identity and your overall, what psychologists call your overall self-concept. You know, sort of this is your, the overall attitudes, the thoughts and beliefs you have about yourself and what it takes to be a, you know, a good person and, and you know, have a fulfilled life. And, 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 and self-concept and identity is a bit like a, uh, like a mental investment portfolio. So if all of your eggs are in one basket, all your stocks, are, all your investments are in one stock, as an athlete, you have a kind of a fairly one-dimensional life or you have very limited uh, uh, balance in life. You work and you train, you work and you train. Then, then, of course, you know, those two things are feeding those two investments that you've made in yourself. So if one of them is suddenly put on shaky ground or forced to take a hiatus, you lose your job or you get injured, then your whole sense of self feels a bit wobbly and, and, and for good reason, because there's not much else to shore it up. And so as a preventive measure, we always ask, uh, we always recommend that athletes have other things in their life outside of sport. Um, and this is really good for your self-concept. This is you know, having multiple identities. So you think of yourself and you know, we can, we have the, we have this little audit that we do for folks to know whether you do have some, some of this in your life or your, your relationship, your identity in sport may be a bit too um, uh, overripe, as we might say, never say too strong, <laughs> but overripe. You know, um, you know, if you've got, you know, if you do have friends that are not uh, to do with sport, can you talk about our, most of your conversations about other things and outside of sport and that sort of stuff? And, and so I think it's a really good idea to do that. Um, but once you're in it, uh, you know, um, and figuring out what kind of patient you are, we are amazed at the number of athletes that are, are completely gung-ho, goal-oriented when they're, when they're healthy. But the moment they get injured, they suddenly turn into sort of a, a strange passive version of themselves. It's just they don't really know what's wrong with them or they delay going to see physical therapy or seeing the doctor or they just put things off. And so all this motivation suddenly disappears. They might be, this might be because they have more sort of catastrophic thinking or they catastrophize and awfulize and, you know, all the eyes that psychologists <laughs> like to come up with that say, you know, the all or nothing. Well, if I can't do that, everything else is uh, screwed up. So I might as well, you know, just throwing the towel in and, and uh, a bad one bad a meal turns into a whole week of eating like crap, you know. Mm -hmm. So what we often say is um, 
Well, one, it's good for your identity, your athletic identity, to stay in the game. So, so don't just try and take yourself completely out of it and think that, oh, well, now I can't run. Uh, I you know, have to like, just not do, have anything to do with sport at all until I get healthy. Or We say, listen, one gets some, uh, uh, Leslie always calls this her investigative health hustle. So hustle to find out what's wrong with you. Hustle and go to treatments or modalities that are going to help. And then look for opportunities to improve on things that don't require you to test that injury. So one, one strategy that, that psychologists use and coaches, some coaches use, called a performance profile. And it's like a little a cheese wheel. And you go through these little segments and you think, well, what does it take to be a great runner, a great triathlete or so on? And you can come up with all of the things, you know, nutrition and mental training and tactical and technical aspects, biomechanics and that kind of stuff. And then you rate yourself on where you are at, when you're healthy, where you are at on each of these elements. And then you ask uh, someone who knows you fairly well or your coach to also rate you uh, independent of your ratings. And then you look for discrepancies between how you think you are on something and how someone who knows or has a little bit more insight or objective insight. And then you target things uh, to work on during injury that don't compromise that injury. So, for example, an, a great example that, that we have that we use in, in our book is a friend of and competitor of Leslie's, uh, a professional traffic called Melanie McQuaid, and she broke her foot, um, which is obviously a pretty much a disaster to a triathlete, and, mm-hmm. and decided, you know what, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to overhaul my run biomechanics. And you're thinking, wait, you're going to overhaul your run biomechanics with a broken foot. How does that even work? And she started to work with her coach on doing a lot of drills in the pool and um, the aqua jogging and a few other biomechanics, leg turnover with resistance underwater. So all the things that weren't putting loading on her foot that she could actually develop good mechanics. So when, when she was able to put weight on it, she, she could translate some of this stuff into running faster. So it, you know, we often say, Find out what it is that you can do uh, and focus on that. So setting, failing to set aggressive fitness goals um, when you're injured is still a really good strategy, uh, providing that you're not compromising or making that injury worse. This is when it's nice to have a third party or an objective person say, you know what, you know, you're deluding yourself. You've got a, a broken foot and you're trying to flip turn in the pool. That's not helping. Or you've, mm-hmm. got, a, you've got a stress response. That will turn into a stress uh, uh, um, a stress fracture if you're not careful and just be taking three ibuprofen doesn't mean that you can't you know the injury has suddenly disappeared you know? <laughs> so so you do have to be careful about but but most of us as athletes can find things that improve our overall athletic ability that don't compromise the injury just have a look for them and that performance profile is one strategy for doing that oh i really like that i think the other thing i mean it's probably within the performance profile is you know, this is a great time for people to be overhauling their sleep and their nutrition and that kind of stuff, not not just, you know, very specific mechanical stuff with their sport. Or heck, even getting yeah, well, their bike well, clean yeah. and organizing their gear Absolutely. Closet. Listen, all those, all those things go into your performance profile. And when you actually do the, you know, when you try and do the exercise off the top of your head, most people can come up with like three or four things about their sport. But when you actually sit down and make it more of a, sort of a worksheet or an academic exercise that we, we've got this a little exercise in our book that we do that most athletes can come up with 25 to 30 different things 
Um, like just like you said, so sleep is being one of the huge pillars, right, of of, of coping with stress, of coping with um, the training stimulus. And so, how that you overhaul your sleep, and there's a whole host and great research now on the little things that we can do to improve our sleep. Um, so most of the staff kind of oblivious to it. We burn the candle at both ends, right? We're working and training and trying, but what can we do actually? To, to focus on this little aspect of our life that props up so much that we just are so negligent of or we just don't give it much thought. This is the same for mental training as well, right? Like listening to our audio book as you're trying to recover from your injury and your PT sessions is a part of training, right? Yeah. Uh, improving your insight and developing skills and strategies to help you uh, cope with what you're dealing with. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Next scenario. And I mean, obviously it's summer. We're going to have a lot of people in this boat, racers who are super nervous because their key goal race of the season, maybe their only race of the season, you know, <laughs> A++++ race is coming up yeah, and yeah. they're super nervous. What are a couple tips you have for dealing with the race day nerves? <laughs> Yeah, it, the first thing is to say it's okay to be super nervous. Um, <laughs> you know, if uh, if you're not if you're not nervous, uh, there's something wrong yeah. <laughs> because it means that it means that you care, that it's important, um, and you've invested time and effort and money and probably money um, into do, into getting there. So it's okay to be nervous, and and a lot of the exercises that we propose are related about reframing the symptoms of nervousness and if you just look at you know if you look at every single response that your body throws at you from sweaty palms to nausea to it's difficulty sleeping because adrenaline and cortisol are higher and so on they're all reactions designed to make us faster and lighter and more aggressive when we're, when we're actually put into the situation so these are all good responses that we want it's when our head gets involved and we start to you know, interpret these things as we're feeling heavy and sluggish and slow and what if I don't perform and so on. So I think some good techniques are where you can learn, you can uh, learn some quick techniques to calm your head and then learn some to calm your body. And we know that the, that your sort of physical anxiety um, starts, um, you know, well, your physical anxiety and your mental anxiety can start at different times. Uh, but generally, your physical anxiety happens much closer up to the race and your mental anxiety start can start, you know, just thinking about the race. And even if it's six months away, you can get those little butterflies going because you started to think about it. So some techniques. So one is we call a chimp purge. Um, so a chimp purge, and that might seem strange if you haven't read that book, because it's not some sort of strange <laughs> exercise you do at the zoo. Um, uh, get rid of all your chimps in your house. Is to think of there's a part of your brain that we call the chimp, as you, you as you, I know that you know Molly, and and it's sort of emotional and reactive, and it, and it's just worried that you're going to be humiliated or shown to be inadequate, or or you may actually die. That's what it's concerned about. So mm. what we can do is to let it rant and let it say all of the things out loud, or you write them down in a journal of the things it's really scared about or, uh, and you and you don't show this to anybody and you don't you don't try and interrupt it with rationalizations and analysis and when you read someone's chimp purge or listen to it it sounds like like just the worst self-talk right it just is so nasty some of the things that our own heads tell us about how we're we're not you know we're too fat we don't deserve it what are we thinking we're going to be exposed as frauds and all the stuff that we know that are is irrational but we still say and and if you do it for long enough and three to five minutes and sometimes more for some people you do it so that when your chimp runs out of things to say it starts repeating itself or you run dry of of things you actually start to walk a little bit lighter you know blood flow to that part of our brain the limbic system drops 
uh, cortisol drops and you just feel a bit better. So just getting into the habit of letting it all out, but not just doing it for 30 seconds, doing it for long enough until it runs out of things to say. You're kind of trying to exhaust it yourself and then you can get on with a rather <laughs> mundane job, right, of like, you know, swimming, biking, running or whatever it is that you're, you're doing. So that's a really good strategy. And the other for kind of your head uh, is to, to learn to do some meditation. And we never, well, I try to avoid using the M word with athletes because their eyes roll back in their head and they, you know, and I use this uh, a lot because athletes have told uh, me this is that, you know, when you hear meditation, you're going to, you, I think you're going to tell me to listen to Enya and drumming and join a drumming circle or, you know, I'm not into that. I just know And it doesn't have to be that at all. You look at the core psychological and emotional regulatory skills that meditation is training. They're all sound. They're backed by science. They reduce our, they help us develop the skill of what we call passive attention, meaning that as intrusive thoughts come in, we're able to just swap them away. Like we don't, it's not just, having to play whack-a-mole all the time. We're comfortable with them swirling around. Now, they're just not taking us down the rabbit hole of why it's all going to end in doom and gloom. So meditation is a stem cell skill for life in general. Our re reactivity to stressful situations improves. It helps us sleep better. We feel calmer. So chimp purging and meditation would be my go-to strategies for your head. And then for your body, because we get nervous, our muscles feel, you know, heavy and and uh, and uh, inflexible, and and we get we feel nauseous uh, and so on. So there's a great uh, strategy or technique that I use is called pro progressive muscle relaxation, and it's a form of a special form of relaxation that is very active. Athletes generally like to do active strategies. They don't just kind of like to lie down, shut their eyes and imagine themselves on a relaxing beach, right? We're fidgety and it's hard to do that. And we're, we're very active people, right? So progressive muscle relaxation is a technique. You just Google it. You'll find out a ton of resources about it or PMR. And what it involves is you go through all your major muscle groups and you can probably divide your body into segments, you know, like five to seven segments, like shoulders and neck, you know, hands and forearms and that kind of stuff. And you, you, you have a maximal contraction of that muscle for three to five seconds of that muscle group. So you're, if it's your fists and your forearms, you're clenching your fists as tight as you can. You've got white knuckles and it can hurt right to the point. And you hold that for three to five seconds. And then you let your, that muscle group relax and you focus on sensations of heaviness and warmth or some people feel lightness and warmth and so on. And it's a rather curious thing happens is that the tension in a post-maximally tensed muscle actually ends up being lower, the, the level of activation in that muscle is lower than before it was tense. So we actually induce relaxation by doing something that's totally counterintuitive by maximally contracting it first. And this improves joint flexibility. So this is great to do if you're on the start line, you need good hip flexibility or shoulder flexibility for a good start. You don't want to change your biomechanics. So you can do this. You can go through this little 20 second, 30 second um, uh, little routine where you're just going through two or three of the big muscle groups and doing it on the line and then focusing maybe with a breath control as well. So that little technique is great. It's my go-to physical relaxation strategy you can do this you know in the week leading up to the race for sort of uh, 15 minutes each night or so on and you can also do it when you're standing on the beach with your in your wetsuit if you're a triathlete just about to go in you can do it there and then as well so it's a great little thing you can do it's really portable and you can do any time oh i like that 
I might need to start doing that before before my races start. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> It'll look a little weird at the start of uh, bike races, but that's that's just fine. I know, right? It's uh, well, you could do it, you know, when you're just uh, if you're warming up on the train or get back in the car, you can do it, or you do it, lock yourself in a in a toilet cubicle and do it say, there. I was gonna say in the in the porta line. <laughs> that's right. Well, maybe not. People are looking at you like, well, they, she really needs to go to yeah, the bathroom oh and her teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, that might be, a, yeah, that might be good for you there. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, move, moving on. Um, so kind of almost on the, the flip side, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've, you know, toned down my racing by a ton. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, for me, I need to still have a couple of races on the schedule for the season because if I don't, it's so hard to motivate myself to train. But I mean, a lot of people lead busy lives and maybe don't really want to race anymore, but they still want to be in shape and be training, but they find it really hard to motivate without racing. How do right, these people right. stay feeling athletic if they take racing off the table? Well, so racing, you know, it, it means that it can mean different things. So it might just mean, you know, where the, the human mind is goal oriented and athletes especially are very goal oriented. And so racing, yes, it's about the, you know, a pinnacle of, sh you know, the showing off your fitness and being able to test yourself. But it's also uh, is, is um, sort of a little uh, 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 marker of just something that we love to do, which is to set a goal, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I never, I, well, I rarely recommend athletes uh, take racing completely off the table um, but because you know set, there's nothing like a goal to to keep you focused to keep challenging you to keep directing your effort to get you out of bed in the morning now the difference is is that what, what happens particularly for athletes who have used to race a lot but they're not doing that much anymore is that they they get caught in this problem of chasing a former identity and then sort of psych speak there for saying listen the way I think about sport is, is kind of trapped in my old identity because I know exactly how to define fast and what successful is and what pace is associated with being X, Y, Z or being fit and so on. And so any time that you use those goals in your new identity or your recovering identity, you're never going to match up. So you're trying to, trying to live up to that is always a sort of a losing proposition, right? So we try and say, well, how can we sort of redefine what the goal is? And that's like redefining what success means and we keep to, we try and keep athletes focused on that that in the moment thinking of effort and attitude, and it's to say, listen, find something. We recommend finding a goal, and that could be a race for you, or certainly might be a challenging group run or group ride, and do it. And don't worry so much that the goal here is not to 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 kind of meet a standard that you would only your former identity would be happy with. It might just be that listen, I put myself on the line. I gave it a go. I only lasted the first twenty minutes before I was shelled out the back. But hey, I, I gave it a go. And that's one part of getting myself, getting into that sort of mindset. It might be if you're a runner, right, and you're used to being really competitive in half marathons or, or marathons, is you just enter a local 5K and something that is still within your, your fitness. Um, and even if you're jog, jogging around it, it's the fact that it's a goal that's motivating me. So look, I, I know that I need to keep doing this. I need to keep training because I've got this coming up back that sort of social accountability piece as well. So trying to change um, how you think of yourself and what you consider successful now, and then keeping a competitive little landmark or test on the calendar is really important. Yeah, I really like that. 
Um, and it might be that, listen, if you don't enjoy racing or you find it, then is there someone else that you can set a race goal with? It might be if you've got kids and they're trying to enter that, they want to enter a race and you kind of run the 5K with them. We have a friend who's not as, who's just starting out and just learning how to kind of cope with being an athlete and you help them and you run with them or something. So it doesn't matter what that goal is for you, but putting yourself on the start line or pitting a number on, it's really good for us because it helps us focus our effort and keeps us motivated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I actually just thought of this one when you and I started talking, because last time we talked, uh, we had my husband, who's a racer, and we had your wife, who obviously is one of the top Xterra racers in the world. Um, how, as, a, as spouses of very fast people, can we cope with being the slow ones in the relationship? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Well, this is why I formed uh, a little group called Team Shit. Uh, have you heard of this? So, uh, I have heard you I apologize for swearing. That's quite so, all right. Uh, well, for us, it, it started off as support, team support husbands in training, right? And so it was all these guys who I knew had much faster wives and girlfriends. And we thought, you know, rather than get anxious about being chick, which now none of us really care about, it's actually quite delightful when that happens. Um, it's really about, you know, okay, we're all kind of play a Sherpa role, but we're also trying to you know, eke out our own little fitness goals. And so this is when your, your, your identity as an athlete is getting, as a sort of a recreation athlete, is getting a little bit bumped and knocked around by someone who has a cast iron athletic identity, right? So, yes. you know, if I'm a cyclist, I'm a cyclist and I like going out, you know, my epic three-hour rides. And Leslie's like, three hours? I mean, that's not epic. So I was like, oh, I met you. nothing is ever good or, you know, fast enough. <laughs> yep. So you start, you start to recalibrate it. And this comes back to all the stuff that we talked about, you know, um, early on on the call. It's just that, you know, you, it's, your, it's about, you know, finding a goal that, that's motivating for you. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's about effort and attitude, focusing on the process of doing it. You might need to use some of those techniques that we talked about if you, you get anxious about it. But listen, different strokes for different folks. Uh, there's, uh, there's a whole host of reasons why people aren't faster than they are, some of which they can control, some of which they can't. And if it's any comfort at all, is that if you, the more you spend around, and I'll, I'll take this my personal experience and professional, living and being married to an elite professional athlete and working in professional sport, not as a professional athlete myself, that's actually the last kind of job I'd want because it looks miserable to me. So, um, yep. you know, we often, we, often, we often only ever see the icing on the cake, you know, the, some of the adulation or, where, or the, when you're racing in fast and times and splits. But the, the daily grind that it takes to get there, I say no thank you for that. Uh, I'd much rather, you know, have a relationship with my sport that I can enjoy for my rather than trying to follow something that I find too exhausting. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's kind of be a, make sure that you surround yourself with people who are not just always so much better than you or are almost always so much slower than you. Mix it up. So Leslie and I will hardly do any training together, uh, as she would always say to me. Well, you didn't. It's not really pleasurable when I come to to spend a day at your job, uh, is it? And this is my job. <laughs> so uh, we try and yeah, we we try and uh, uh, keep our training outside of that, or make sure that it's just kind of recreational when we do it. But um, yeah, I think that after a while, your, your identity resets itself and then you kind of figure out how that you make it work for you. So my little team shit group is, is a perfect antidote to that. I love that. 
Uh, and then the last scenario here is, you know, we were thinking about it, like, okay, here's all the problems. And then we're like, okay, well, what about, there are plenty of racers out there who are doing, you know, pretty well. Like they're getting close to their goals. They're hitting their goals, but they kind of almost have that weird, like nervous because things are going too well almost, or just are kind of looking for that like marginal gain and they've already dialed their diet and their training and all that stuff. So what are a couple like things that can give them a little bit of that mental edge. And I know we talked about the M word before, but. Yeah, I know, right? Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, meditation or, or Headspace, <laughs> is the app that we use is a great one for that. But it's also, you know, one of the things that makes athletes doubt um, that, um, that it's all going well now, but it's soon going to change, or they doubt their ability to enjoy that present moment is partly confidence. Uh, if they have a history of things getting derailed, then when it eventually you do come out of the turbulence and things feels good again, you're thinking, well, it's only a matter of time before it all goes away or, you know, so it's sort of taking a time. And this is a bit more of an existential question, I guess, that we yeah. have athletes think about is like, what's the what's the whole point of it all? You know, why do we do this? And, 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 and a lot of the time we get so preoccupied or caught up in the past and the future and we forget about the present that, listen, even if this doesn't last that long, I'm going to enjoy this now. Things are going well, right? And I know that the best version of me as an athlete is when I can be very present focused, right? I know that little nervousness is good for me. I know that the way to, um, the, the way to have great races is to become a little bit obsessed with the ingredients of great races, which is all the little in-the-moment decisions that you make and the technical and the tactical aspects of, of doing it. Um, so, that's the first thing is that, you know, recognize that take time to enjoy things going well. Mm -hmm. um, and then you might be, there's, you know, some athletes have a little bit of imposter syndrome going is that they just, they think that they, they feel a little bit of a fraud deep down. This is the chimp brain telling them that, you know, you're not this good and it's just a fluke. You've been lucky or the reason you've done so well at these races is because your main competitors weren't there or all the things that our imposter brain will like to tell us. And so we have to we have to come, become a little bit better at swatting away some of those little chimp sabotaging thoughts. And that's why, again, meditation and passive attention is a great technique to be able to do that. So and then I always love uh, having a little mental flu shot. So listen, nothing's going badly. You don't sports psychology isn't just for when things are bad. It can be a top up. It can be some insights that can help you create a bit even more of a a little vaccination against going down a rabbit hole. So these techniques are really useful for you as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, don't worry. So it's perfectly normal to worry a little bit about things not going well. That doesn't mean that you're going to suddenly be derailed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this actually made me think about this one other thing we've been kind of seeing a lot lately is when someone has a bad race or a race that they don't necessarily, they're not like psyched on it. The uh, the post race um, or even pre race actually the rationalizations that start either before the race or happen immediately after. Do you have any tips for how people can kind of get past that stage of like, uh, you know, I think my break was rubbing. I didn't sleep very well last <laughs> night. I feel a little sick. I might have had a bad oyster three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, a dodgy shrimp that you had in a curry or something, and of yeah. course that's why. Well, listen, we all we all like to um, take uh, personal credit for successes, and we outsource and point fingers when things other things yes. that when things don't go well, right? And that that sort of a is sort of a, a fundamental. Um, 
sort of attribute of the human mind. And there's, there's some good but kind of evolutionary reasons why we do that. Um, but I do think uh, we, it's ultimately about ego protection, right? But, but I do think that when we do it after a race, so that the first race, the post-race autopsy is, um, you know, obviously most people don't have trouble taking uh, responsibility for their successes. Some people with very low confidence um, will sort of even make reasons why they were lucky or it was a fluke or so on. But most of us are perfectly happy though. I've done the training. But if something hasn't gone well, even if it wasn't in your control, then um, take ownership of that as well, right? And, and taking ownership of it doesn't mean broadcasting it to everybody so they know why you didn't have a race. One way of taking ownership of it is not mentioning it at all, right? Mm. And so Leslie tried this, learned this strategy probably about six or seven years ago is that she, she might be going into races with an injury or a nigger or something that hasn't gone well. And rather than after the race, if things don't go well, uh, say, oh, well, I've been struggling with this, that, is to not mention it. And is to try and almost, um, you know, uh, do how, what we would advise, you know, the, the, the little 12-year-old inside of us is that, you know, you take ownership of your performance, you don't make excuses. Oh, well, better luck next time. I gave it everything and, uh, and so be it. So you keep some of those things to yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a sign that you've got a mature athletic identity. Beforehand, we do all these we do all these kind of cognitive acrobatics where we self-sabotage ahead of time. And because we want them just in case things don't go well, I'm going to make sure there are some reasons that people know ahead of time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's, it's intensely annoying to be around people who do that. When we do it, we don't notice it. Right. Because we're just talking what we think are genuine reasons why it might not go well today. But we are, it's so obvious to us when we're around other people that do it. So there's a little bit of a paradox for you, right? So you don't like it when other people are making all these excuses. So don't do it yourself. So try and sort of uh, focus on the things that, that are going to lead to good performances, you know, all the effort and attitude and the, the tactical and the technical preparation you've done and that kind of stuff. And take all those other things, the controlling the controllables is the sort of little cliched mantra of coaches. So if it's not in your control, um, but it happened, like ignore it, uh, don't mention it, don't keep talking about it as the reason, only explain what's going to happen and what did happen based on things that are in your control. Um, so it's kind of putting your big girl and big boy pants on about that too, <laughs> um, right? And being, and this ultimately, because it's ego defense, it's about our fundamental relationship with failure. None of us like to lay everything out on the line and it doesn't go well because you know what that's the worst situation for your ego to be in because you did everything you could and you still weren't good enough what does that say about you you're a failure right and no one wants to be in that situation so we always give ourselves a little out so we have to fundamentally change our relationship with failure and and you know there are some great books that have been written to help you do this one is called mindset uh, by carol dweck uh, she's a stanford psychologist uh, about moving from a fixed mindset, about our relationship with failure to a growth mindset and seeing it as a, like a sculptor, you know, you, you're, you're sculpting away and each race is a little chip at this thing that you're creating. You stand back, no, I need to go back and chip here and chip there. No single event, no single race, no single performance defines your ability. It's a process. And so you go into races often thinking, well, I need to test out this strategy that might end in a catastrophic failure. <laughs> well, well, so what, right? It takes, you need to be brave before you can be good. So you learn things about yourself. Um, you know, you need to, 
you need to over tighten a screw occasionally to know how tight the screw can go. So look at races like that. It's an opportunity for, for great feedback to tell you what you need to do different next time to be a little bit better, a little bit better. And that's the way that you string, you know, if you string enough races together and you look at races through that lens, you'll end up being in the place that you want to be, having those great races where you're really getting the most out of your potential and they feel good and you've done everything did go well. Awesome. Perfect. All right. That's every scenario that could ever possibly happen, I'm sure. But just in case uh, athletes need a little bit more, tell everyone where they can find you and get your book and all that fun stuff. Yes, they can get uh, get to us, me or Leslie, through our, co- uh, through our website, which is braveheartcoach.com. And we have a little smog test on there that they can fill out. And we'll call them back. We'll talk about your training or stuff that you're struggling with. No string. We're not trying to recruit you as clients or athletes. Just to talk through stuff. We love chatting through this stuff as well. We're kind of nerdy about it. And then for our book, uh, The Brave Athlete, you can get it on you know, all the places that they sell books, uh, Amazon and, and Audible and so on. There's an audio book as well. And athletes generally have, have been telling us that it's a great little training aid to get through those long runs or long trainer sessions or in the car when you're driving to races. So use it as a sort of a little training aid as well. It's not just turning pages that you can listen to it. We've narrated it, Leslie and I, so unfortunately, we, you know, oh, so you might have to so cope good. with our hard voices. Uh, we're kind of a bit, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're not professional uh, voice, uh, uh, voiceover or narrators, but we did our best and it was kind of fun to do. So it's us actually talking the talk. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'd heard you mention that on another podcast recently. And I was like, oh, I need to get that, even though I've read the book like probably five times now. I'm still like, I can still listen to it. We've got a long drive coming up. So awesome. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It's always a pleasure talking to you and not just for the accent. (laughs) You've got the accent, Molly, not me. So that's okay. (laughs) Well, listen, it's it's a pleasure as always. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week... Uh, Do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. Takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.